A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in riotous living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? Yet here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours Sorry. When this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and has been found. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Our children, James and Peter, are about two years apart in age. Peter is our youngest, and around the time he was born, James was in the middle of a developmental shift where his language skills were just taking off exponentially. So in some ways, it felt like James took on a whole new big brother persona, 
just as his little brother was born. His big brother character takes many forms, but the sweetest is when he will try to comfort Peter in his distress. He'll mimic us, saying things like, it's okay, buddy, I'm right here. Except that his comforting Peter voice is very high-pitched, so it's like, it's okay, Peter. <laughs> Usually not loud enough to be heard over Peter's crying, and then when that's the case, he gets very frustrated if Peter is not immediately soothed. So we can progress very quickly to a more irritated, it's okay, Peter, I'm right here. He wants to play the role of the big brother, but he wants to do it on his terms. The parable that Jesus tells in our gospel reading for today is the story of a family with two brothers who, it seems, might be willing to show some brotherly love, but only on their own terms, and a father who just blows their expectations out of the water. So let's revisit this familiar parable and see what it has to teach us. Remembering that parables were Jesus' genre of choice for a reason. There is no one way to read a parable. The point is not to get it, but to approach the story as a story, like a child, full of questions, of wonder, and in our reading and our wondering about what we have read, to let it shape us and mold us with each reading. So right now, let's enter the story and wonder together. Once there was a man, and the man had two sons. The younger son asked his father for his share of the inheritance and ventured off into the world. Perhaps this meant he had no plans ever to return home again. Perhaps he had no plans at all. All he knew was that he was ready to be free, and this meant he needed money, and he needed to get out from under the stifling presence of his perfect older brother. Both of these he accomplished, leaving behind him a family that never expected to see him again. I wonder how they grieved. I wonder if they were a little bit relieved. Asking for the inheritance was a sign of disrespect, a, a give me what's mine and let's go our separate ways kind of a move. And disrespect isn't something you worry too much about when you know you're on your way out. But this particular brand of disrespect also has a cruelty about it. It's more than a teenager shouting, I wish you were dead. It's a grown man demonstrating by his actions that he actually does wish you were dead, so he wouldn't have to go to the trouble of asking for the money that would come to him once you're gone. I wonder if the father was surprised. I wonder if the older brother rolled his eyes. Well, off he went. And before too long, unsurprisingly, the money was all gone. He had spent it on riotous living, whatever that meant in the first century. Broke, he started tending pigs. Now, the pigs were a sign that he had left not only his family, but his culture behind. No self-respecting Jewish family would own pigs. So he finds himself in Gentile country, feeding the pigs, 
So hungry, he longs to fill his own belly with the food meant for the pigs, which he never would have eaten in the first place. So somehow he has sunk down to a level below unclean. I wonder what the tipping point was. Jesus says he came to himself, and that's when he decided to go back home. I wonder what it was that brought him out of this haze of shame and disillusionment to remember that he had a home to go back to. Well, as he gathered his things and began the journey back toward home, he rehearsed the speech he would give when he arrived. Father, he would say, I have sinned against God and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired hands, at at least that way. I won't starve. Surely he walked with a quicker step than he had in a while, even with the prospect of a life of servitude ahead of him. But I wonder if he really expected that his father would take him up on his offer, if he really thought through what it would mean for him to come back home and bunk with the servants. I wonder how the servants would have felt if he had. I wonder if he slept at all on the road back home, or if he was too driven by hope and hunger even to rest. Well then, it happened. He reached the top of the last hill, sloping toward home, and as he laid eyes on this place he had forsaken what felt like a lifetime ago, he saw a figure, his father, gesturing wildly, breaking into a run as he made his way down the road to greet his son, to welcome him home. Father, I have sinned against God and against you, he began in a somber tone. My boy, his father interjected, not hearing a word. I know I am no longer worthy even to be called your son, he began again. My son is home, his father shouted to the skies. And before he knew what was happening, before he could even finish his speech, the prodigal son was robed, ringed, and slippered. In other words, ushered seamlessly back into the life he had so definitively turned his back on. I wonder who he spoke to next. I wonder if his room was like he had left it, or if it had been changed into an office. The calf that the family had been raising to serve as the feast at the next festival was slaughtered early. This party took precedence. The cousins all gathered together. They invited neighbors and friends. Eventually, it seemed the whole town had turned out to celebrate the news of this prodigal's safe return. The one conspicuous absence, his older brother, who was working late in the fields. When he finally made his way back toward the house, mentally calculating his overtime and wondering if his father had noticed the extra effort, the elder brother was shocked to see the crowd that had gathered. I wonder if he even suspected 
I wonder if he thought, even just for a minute, that maybe the party was meant to honor him. A servant informed the elder brother of the real reason for the party, and after that there was no chance he was going in. How long had it been since his younger brother had left, taking with him half the estate and leaving behind him the full burden of maintaining it? How many 12-hour days had this perfectionist put in trying to win his father's favor? And how many times had he been disappointed to find he was the only one paying attention to just how hard he was working? Too many, most likely. Enough that all he could see was red. I wonder if the servant who broke the news was even the slightest bit surprised at his reaction. I wonder if the words, no brother of mine, were heard that night, or if they were swallowed up by the sounds of gladness pouring out of the house. One way or another, word made it to the father. Your oldest son is setting up camp outside. Seems like he's trying to make a statement. He refuses to come in. And so we come to this scene, the beating heart of this parable. The father pulled himself away from his station in the corner where he was taking in the scene listening in as a group of his son's childhood friends filled him in on all he had missed while he was away. The father made his way outside and began to plead with his firstborn to come in and join the celebration. I wonder if he knew just how much his older son was hurting. I wonder if he realized it was no petty jealousy that kept him out in the cold. The exchange was heated, drenched in emotion, anger on the one hand, unconditional love on the other. The bitterness in his firstborn was palpable. You killed the calf for him? He spoke with a calculated tension over enunciating his words in that way he was prone to do when he could not believe how he was being wronged. It seemed he was always being wronged. You killed the calf for him he repeated, this time more to himself than his father. He was trying to come to terms with it, which meant trying to internalize the shame that would inevitably follow if he were to accept the notion that he was somehow loved less than his brother. What other conclusion could he draw? None that he could see. I wonder if in that moment 
he thought about packing his bags. My son, his father began. My son, he said again, voice cracking, as if to remind him that this was what mattered most. Not the work he had accomplished, or the hours he had put in, or the orderliness of the estate, or his uprightness of character. No, no. My son, he said. And something broke in the elder son. And it was a good breaking. And as he heard his father say, my boy, the calf was always yours. All of it has always been yours. He was reminded that before he was a manager, he was a child. That even before he was good, he was beloved. I wonder how many times in the days to come he would forget how many times they would have this same fight, how many endlessly wide embraces the father would have the opportunity to give. Jesus told this parable to a group of the religious elite, the scholars and priests, the Sunday school teachers and the lifelong members, the ones who had been in for so long, they had forgotten what it was like to be out. The story of the younger son's forgiveness is moving, and it is enough of a parable on its own for the one who has need of it. But the time comes for each of us when we've been in the family long enough that some newer prodigal will arrive. And we will want to ask our father how he could possibly associate with one of them, with someone like him, with someone like her. Even those of us who are convinced of the inescapable wideness of God's embrace will find ourselves saying, oh, but him? And the answer is always yes. So Northminster, I wonder where you are in this story. I wonder where it is that you see God. I wonder whose party we've been missing. And I wonder if we'll have the courage to walk inside. Amen.